Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here today. I want to welcome you, those who are with us in person and those who are online. If you have a, a Bible, you might be turning it to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Thank you, Larry, for reading that passage, and hopefully in a, in a few minutes you'll see how that uh, scripture from the Gospel of Matthew connects with what we are studying in the Gospel of John. Uh, we need your help. One week from today will be a trunk or treat. Hopefully we'll have a, a parking lot full of children. Jesus says, when you welcome a child, you welcome me. And so uh, we do trunk or treat not just to have fun, not just to have a good time, to have a joyous time. We do it because that's what Jesus wants us to do, to welcome children and to be mindful of children. So uh, if you can volunteer, if you can come and help in any way at all, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back, or you can talk to Laura and I, and we'll um, tell you all the details about that. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone who serves the good wine first, when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of John opens with a bang. In the very first verse, we learn that, that Jesus is both eternal and, and Jesus is God and it doesn't slow down from there. Verse 14 of chapter 1 tells us that God took on flesh. And verse 18 reminds us that no one had ever seen God until they saw Jesus. Jesus is the full revelation of God. Next comes John the Baptist who announces the coming of the Messiah. And he introduces Jesus with those famous words, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus then calls his disciples, he invites them and he invites us to come and see. And so when we come to chapter 2, we're expecting big things. Jesus is God. He's taken on flesh. He's been announced. He has called his disciples. What's next? Will he go out to the desert like John and other spiritual giants to, to go and meditate and, and, and pray? No. Does he make his way to one of those famous ancient libraries or, or another place to study 
to have his students, his disciples, learn and read. No, he doesn't do that. What he does is he goes to a wedding. And what does he do there? He, he turns water into wine. He does not raise the dead. He does not heal a blind man or help the lame to walk. The first miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John is turning water into wine. Now this is God. This is the Messiah. And this is what he chooses to do. And so the first account in in John 2 should have us scratching our heads. Why a wedding? Why water into wine? You know, aren't, aren't there more important places to be? Aren't there more important things to be doing? And if you've been coming on Wednesday night and, and watching The Chosen, then, then you know that Peter is thinking these things. Once he accepts that they are going to this wedding, he assumes it, it must be because there are important people there. But that's not the case. The most important person in attendance is Jesus' mother. You know, it's easy for us to understand why Jesus would heal someone who's blind or lame. We get why Jesus would take his disciples to a mountain or somewhere else and teach them. But why a wedding? Why water into wine? What do we learn from this first sign in the Gospel of John? Well, we learn that relationships and uh, people are important to Jesus. This is where he begins. This is the first place that he takes his disciples. Jesus places a high value on human connections. You know, we think of, of Jesus as the most important person to ever walk this earth. And how do we view important people? Well, typically we, we view their time as valuable. And because of this, we think that there are certain things that are beneath them. And, and this is how the, the disciples viewed Jesus. They thought his time was too valuable to be bothered by children. They tried to protect Jesus and his time. But uh, Jesus does not allow any of that. He doesn't let them do that. Instead, he welcomes children. And he stops to talk to this woman on a crowded street who had reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And he eats with prostitutes and tax collectors. And he takes his disciples to a wedding. And so relationships are foundational to the ministry of Jesus. And over and over again, Jesus takes time to be with people. And he gives them his attention. He listens to their concerns. He invites people to his table. And Jesus is especially aware of the the people who have few relationships the people who have been ostracized, the people who have been overlooked, and he reaches out to these people to let them know that they are not invisible, that he sees them, and that they have a friend in him. 
We see this in passages like Luke 14 where Jesus says, when you give a dinner, you give a banquet. Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. The emphasis on relationships is not just for Jesus. He expects his followers, he expects us to continue what he started. He expects us to keep looking for people who are ignored and invite them to our tables. You know, what we view as important can even extend to how we do church. Churches sometimes um, place a high value on teaching and worship and maybe little value or no value on relationships. And if we think that church is all about what we do in worship on Sunday morning and we're not forming and strengthening relationships with others, then, then we're not following this model that Jesus has set for us. We're not following the pattern of the early church who regularly met in homes and shared meals together. A church is a family. And you cannot have family without relationships. And so our strength as a church is, is dependent on the time that, that we spend with one another outside of worship. In the Gospel of John, Jesus begins his ministry at a wedding. And he begins it with people. And he begins it by eating and celebrating with others. And we're to do the same. Church is about sharing our lives with one another. It's about giving people our time and, and, and our attention, things that are valuable to us. It's about the relationships that we form and the love that we share. And at the wedding, Jesus is presented with this problem. Uh, right in the middle of the celebration, uh, they run out of wine. And the families of the wedding party were, were likely not well off. They were probably somewhat poor. And for this to happen to them would have been a great embarrassment. It would have brought shame upon the family. It would have been something that locals would have been talking about for years. And so we see here that Jesus is not only concerned about physical ailments. He's just as concerned about how people are treated and, and how people are viewed by others. He wants to save this family from embarrassment. He wants to rescue them from shame that they would have suffered. And so he turns this water into wine. You know, when we think about our ministry to others, we need to think about all aspects of life. You know, it's easy to focus on issues like poverty or, or sickness, which are important and we need to focus on. But we also need to remember that, that Jesus is concerned with all things that are not right. And he cares about how people are treated and he cares about the emotional challenges that people face. And we should care about these things as well. And we should have empathy for others. And we should be aware of what others are experiencing and going through. 
And if we can help in any way, then we should do so. The ministry of the church should be vast. And, and I love that. I think Frank covered that beautifully in his prayer this morning. It's not about just one thing. It is about the many different ways that we can help people all around us. The ministry of the church is not just about the official programs of the church. Those are needed. Those are necessary. Those are wonderful things. But the ministry of the church is broader. It's about everything that we do for others when we leave this building. It's about us going into our places of work, our schools, our neighborhoods, and wherever else we may be, and making a difference in the lives of others. And this is the ministry of the church. You know, there's much about this story here in John 2 that's foreign to us. We don't grasp the importance of weddings in ancient times. We're unfamiliar with celebrations that would have lasted for days and days. We don't get the stigma of running out of wine and how it would have been viewed back then. We also easily overlook the amount of wine that Jesus makes in this situation. Now, John tries to help us out by telling us how much each stone jar would have held. Uh, they they run, of, run out of wine at the wedding, and, and it says that Jesus makes somewhere between 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Uh, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> And again, we may read that and we may want to question uh, the actions of Jesus. Why so much? Come on, Jesus, you know, wouldn't it have been okay if you made half that? I think they would have gotten through. They would have made it to the end of the wedding. But that's not the point. Jesus makes more than is needed. He makes an overabundance of wine. And this is no coincidence. Jesus is beginning his ministry by sending a message. His grace is overflowing. He gives us more than we need. And that's not just back then. It's still true today. Jesus gives us more than we deserve. His grace is abundant. His mercy is great. This is who Jesus is. Ephesians 2, 4-5 states, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. We are saved by grace. What does this mean? It means that we don't just you know, scrape by. We barely get into heaven. God who is rich in mercy gives us grace. Wow. And this is controversial. Uh, not just in our day, but even in the days before Jesus. Jonah refused to go to Nineveh because he knew that God was a God of grace. He knew that God would save those awful, evil people in Nineveh, and they didn't deserve saving. And Jonah was right about one thing. The people of Nineveh did not deserve to be saved. And what they received was grace. 
And the same is true for us today. We've done things that we should not have done. We are sinners. Paul says, I was the greatest of sinners. Can't find a worse sinner than me. We do not always live as we should live. But thank goodness, we serve a gracious God who makes more wine than what is needed. So as we read and study the Gospel of John, we always have to remember that there's more than meets the eye. And so we have to dig deeper. We have to look for more than, than one meaning. And, and this text here this morning is no different. This image of marriage is one that's found throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, Israel is described as a bride married to God. And you see this in multiple places is what the whole book of Hosea is about. Jesus uses the, the image of a wedding banquet to tell his followers about what is to come. That was the passage that Larry read for us this morning. And so the, the picture of the afterlife that Jesus presents is one of a joyous gathering. It is a marriage feast. And we cannot forget about these images when we begin to look at this passage. And so John 2 is not just about the ministry of Jesus and what we are to imitate. It's about those things, but it's about more as well. It's about what is to come. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This is not just about what happened in Jesus' day. It's a message for us. And what is the message? The message is, the best is yet to come. And so when we become a Christian, we experience blessings in Christ. We taste the good life. We get to enjoy abundant living. But this is not all. It's not the end of the matter. There is more to come. And there is much more to come, and it only gets better. Jesus reserves the good wine until the end. I want to tell you about Learch, which is a Christian community founded by Jean Venier. And the idea behind the community is to care for people who have mental disabilities. And these are people who are often overlooked in society. Um, you may know that people with mental disabilities often end up homeless, a large amount of homeless people. just They're homeless because they have mental disabilities. The, the Learch community um, pairs people with mental disabilities with Christian volunteers, and they, they live together, take care of one another. There was this man named Ramesh who was one of the individuals who suffered from mental disabilities and he suffered from epilepsy. And he had spent many years in a psychiatric hospital with locked cells. And uh, Ramesh was now living in a Learch community. But one weekend he went home, he went to visit his brother 
And at the end of that weekend, he visited some of the neighbors nearby, and he told them, tomorrow is my marriage day, the day of my wedding. And they all smiled. They knew about his disabilities, and they just never gave it a second thought. He got on the bus, and he returned back to Learch, and when he got back, he told everyone there, tomorrow will be my wedding day. And later that night, he went to sleep, and he suffered a heart attack, and he died. I don't know how to explain all that, but what we can say is Ramesh anticipated a day of great joy. He anticipated a celebration, and he announced to everyone that tomorrow is my wedding day. What are you looking forward to? What are you anticipating? The blessings of Jesus are abundant now, and we should celebrate these blessings with others. Our joy should be overflowing as Christians. But we should also never forget that the best is yet to come. And we are awaiting a great wedding banquet where we will feast with Jesus and we will feast with all those faithful followers who have gone on before us. The best wine has been saved for that day. And what a glorious day it will be. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning in your presence. We're so thankful and grateful to be invited to your table, a table of grace where we can eat with you now. Father, we also know that this table reminds us of a day in the future when we will gather in another place around your table and enjoy a wonderful banquet meal. We're so grateful for the grace that you've shown us, an overflowing, abundant grace. May we never forget that you are a gracious God. And may we not keep it to ourselves. May we share it with others. May we remember the importance that Jesus placed on relationships. May we use our tables to... Share meals with people who are overlooked. May we strengthen the bonds that we have in this congregation and serve you always until the day that you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive this blessing from Second Peter. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. If you're here this morning and we can help you or serve you in any way, won't you come now as we stand and as we sing?